0: Welcome to Bike Talk, streaming in Southern California at KPFK, Western Massachusetts at Valley Free Radio, WMBR in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and worldwide at Biketalk.org. Today we have an interview with the bike mayor of Toronto. But first we hear from Eli Akira Kaufman, the executive director of the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition. Eli's interviewed by the executive director of the Massachusetts Bicycle Coalition, Galen Mook. Galen, meet Eli.
1: Thanks, Nick, for bringing us together. I guess for your audience's edification, this is Galen. I'm the director of Mass Bike. We do statewide advocacy here in Massachusetts, and we are joined from Eli from the Los Angeles County Bicycle Coalition. Eli, can you give a quick intro about yourself, your role, and I don't know if you were a breakfast food. What breakfast food would you be?
2: Oh, okay. Well. I'll start with the easy stuff. I think I would be everything bagel and more cream cheese than probably necessary. That's how I usually start before I hit the bike. My name is Eli Akira Kaufman. I'm the executive director of the LA County Bicycle Coalition. And in that role, I help create the strategy and do a lot of the fundraising to keep the organization going. We're closely with our advocacy team to think about how we can change LA from a car-centric town into a place that's truly multimodal where we all cyclists, pedestrians, transit users can feel like they're being supported and that they can move around our region with dignity.
1: That's awesome, ambitious and lofty and worthy. You are leading the 501c3 nonprofit, is that right?
2: Yeah, that's correct. LACBC is a 501c3 and we've been around since 1996 is when we first started incorporating back in the day. So we've been around a little over 20 years. So we stay away from most electoral politics. I mean, of course, we can do get out the vote campaigns and voter education campaigns, but we're not in a position to endorse a candidate or a measure.
1: Yeah, Mass Pike is something similar so just for comparison, we are 501c3 as well. For those of you listening in, and we've been around since 1977, so it's actually wow. a little like 45 years worth of struggles, but I've been at the helm here for a little over 4 years. A little bit of context there, but I think though we have similarities in our work, we're 501c3s and not C4s. And for those audience members, the difference there is we can't directly give to candidates. We can't raise money on behalf of candidates, but we can help influence the conversation that candidates operate in. So maybe we could dive into that a little bit because we operate on a state level here in Massachusetts. You're kind of on a county level. And for those of you who know L.A. County, it's one of the biggest population centers in the world and one of the most rich. I don't know if you could tell me a little bit about the county itself of L.A. versus we're used to a municipal model here in Massachusetts. We don't have a lot of counties. So can you talk a little bit about the structure of geography out there?
2: Yeah, sure. So L.A. County, I think, is the second largest metropolitan area in the country to New York. But in terms of land, this is massive. The second largest public school system, LAUSD. I think we have the second largest Department of P- Water and Power. So it's just a massive, sprawling region. And uh, there's uh, five supervisors that break up the county into fiefdoms. And then within the city of LA, where a lot of our work is focused, although not exclusively because we do serve the entire county and I'll explain why in a minute. So there's 15 council members. which Each of their districts are the size of, I would say, a large town. And some of them are approaching the size of a small city in terms of just how many people they serve. right? So it's a pretty massive endeavor. And the reason why LACBC takes the footprint of the county instead of the city of LA is because we wanted to mirror the footprint of Metro, which is our transportation agency, so that we could really think holistically about the whole region in terms of the advocacy we were doing and trying to push for the rights of cyclists and pedestrians and the like. We wanted to operate at the county level to essentially mirror our public transportation and how it's set up.
1: Yeah, that's really fascinating. We think regionally as well at MassBike, but one of the things I always like to throw out, it's a tired trope for those of you who've been listening in, but I always like to say that all biking is local. Yeah. That it's kind of a nod to Tip O'Neill, who was a speaker of the House from Massachusetts in the 90s, but he always would say that all politics is local. And with that, it's like, people only care about what impacts them directly. And so I like to think about that with bike advocacy the same. So for instance, you care about the bike lane on your street or the pothole that needs to get fixed, or that one crummy intersection on your commute in. I'm wondering, and I can chime into too how MassPike treats this, but how on a county level do you really deal with the fact that, or do you agree that people really are plugged in when it's a local issue, but then how do you up-level that into the levers of power change, which arguably operate on your level on a county basis, and on my level here in Massachusetts and a state level?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. The thing about LA is that Angelenos, I think, on average, travel more VMTs, vehicle mile travel, than most Americans to get to and from work and where they need to go. We're a commuting culture, which is why we're so prone to be a car culture, because folks just spend a lot of time in cars out here. And so I would say that there is that notion that whatever is in my backyard is the most important thing. Where is this street where there's a high injury issue or where is that intersection that's broken and not really working well for everybody. But the average Angelina, like I said, gets in a car and sits in traffic for a round trip around 90 minutes a day. And that's a little bit different than I think a lot of the cities on the East Coast with better public transit, better mass transit, less sprawl. I mean, let's just call it for what it is. LA is a sprawling series of cities that have grown into each other. And folks, they generally work at a distance from where they live. And a big part of that in LA too, if you've been following the news on the national levels that we just have such a lack of affordable housing inventory, people are getting further and further out to the margins. So there are folks who are commuting in from Antelope Valley and further that are still in the county of la if you were in massachusetts and you're like wait that's the same county i just drove two hours in traffic and we're in the same county right in la that is the case so there's this combination of the sprawling nature of the region the lack of affordable housing and just how addicted we've become to cars it's our normal to get in a car and drive a minimum of 45 minutes, if not longer, to get to where we need to go. And when I say we, I'm not talking about necessarily the LACBC community, which is really trying to do first last mile with transit and find other strategies to get around the region. But I'd say the average Angelino has that experience where they live far away from where they work and they're stuck in traffic a lot of the time.
1: Yeah, and you find that on an advocacy level, how do you tackle that? What messaging do you need to present to say, "Hey, we're doing what we can for your ride, your area, but we impact the whole county." And it's good to know that people kind of understand the whole county because of sprawl, they probably have to travel throughout, and so they kind of understand. If you have an issue, so, I don't know, I'm making up something. In Koreatown, West Hollywood would understand it because they know it. They've been there. Is that the sense of what you're tackling?
2: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. I think it depends on what part of the region you live in. There's a joke that if you live in Santa Monica or on the west side, we speak about our city in terms of our freeways. So most people on the west side who live in Santa Monica and those neighborhoods along the coast, they rarely cross what we call the 405 freeway. It's this freeway wall or barrier that yeah. separates east from west. I live pretty far east of that in literally Ethiopia, and really in mid-city, the middle of the city. So... I think for those folks, it's a much wealthier, much more fluent part of town. And so they have much better bike infrastructure and all the rest of it. So I would say they do not understand the larger ecosystem.
1: This reminds me of a quote. I love that you said the 405 basically is a barrier for some. And I think that's kind of the irony of a lot of automobile transportation. And I don't want this podcast to turn into the war on cars, although I love the war on cars. But it's funny how I think bicycling infrastructure really is connectivity. It's bridges that are being built through communities and interacting and kind of permeates those freeway-style walls that have gone up for the past 60 years. And my experience in L.A. is very much understanding that of there are freeways that just slice through and they become walls, more or less.
2: Yeah, yeah my personal history with that is I'm Japanese-American and mom's family is from Sotel, which was a lot of Japanese gardeners. And the 10 freeway basically just eviscerated their whole community. And freeway construction in LA has a long, sordid history of just decimating communities of color, lower income communities. And just moving folks so yeah my mother's childhood home was i guess three lanes in on the westbound side of the freeway some places it's a eight lane freeway or or six to eight lanes depending on where you are (laughs) and the thing about la is that we keep on widening the pipe and increasing capacity in these freeways but we keep on filling them up so this whole notion that we just need to make bigger freeways or expand our freeways to solve the issue hasn't worked for the last 30 years and it's really time that we start thinking about a different approach to getting around LA, because just increasing the capacity of the pipe has not been a solution that's been affordable, sustainable, or equitable on any level.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate that you're calling out the Japanese community and how they literally had their homes raised in order to build freeways. I'm reminded of a quote from Pete Buttigieg, who's the Secretary of Transportation of the US, of course, but for our audience, yeah. he's Mayor Pete is now Secretary Pete, and he's in charge of all of the transportation, including the biggest transportation package to come out of Washington ever. And there's a quote that he has that I'm stealing from The Daily Show that he was just on with Trevor Noah. And he says, the very fact that we have the phrase wrong side of the tracks in American English tells you something about how infrastructure, which is supposed to connect, can also be used to divide, often on racial lines. And we've got to face that and do something about that.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, I would say freeway construction in Los Angeles has been, I would go as far as to say it's been weaponized to eviscerate communities that were in areas that became more desirable over time. I just wanted to mention that one of the things that we do do to impact politics here in LA, because as we said, we can't really get involved with electoral races, we can't donate money, we can't endorse candidates, but we did put together a mayoral candidate questionnaire all about active transportation that we invited all the candidates to complete, and that was a real voter education move, which was something that we did with some of our partners, LA Walks, ACT LA, Climate Resolve, and others. And that candidate questionnaire really meant to expose how candidates were thinking about active transportation and whether they had even a sense as how to solve some of these intractable issues that have kept our city in gridlock. And so, I think one of the things that's happening in L.A. that's interesting is that we've hit this tipping point where folks are just sick drivers, bicyclists, pedestrians, transit users. We're all so sick and tired of being exposed and late and made sick by the way that our transportation infrastructure doesn't function that it feels like there's this gathering storm that I'm excited about personally because I think it points to a moment where the community itself is just ready to start taking more serious action. At the same time that I say that, the reality is that LA is facing all kinds of other major systemic issues and transportation is just one of them. So the advocacy space is impacted here in Los Angeles because there are so many needs from lack of affordable housing to lack of access to decent health care to lack of access to dignified work that's within reach, to issues with our our, our massive public education system, LUSD. We're just in line on a number of things. And I think our strategy is to connect all of those different issues to how transportation and the lack of equitable access to meaningful alternatives to getting around is actually contributing to all those other issue areas that I just mentioned. And how interconnected or intersectional is a term that we use a lot out here all those issues are. And so we're starting to think a little bit beyond the mobility justice group, but to just really start to appeal to all these other issue areas that are related to, well, can you get there? Can you afford to get there? Can you get there safely? Can you get there consistently on time? Is the getting there and from there contributing to the problem that needs to be addressed
1: so it's great to get that questionnaire out we're doing something very similar in massachusetts we have a gubernatorial candidate coming up which we know who the leads are we're not surprised we're a one-party system here kind of sucks but can i say sucks on florence free radio i think i can it kind of sucks we just kind of get to get our message out at least but we are sending out a questionnaire for the attorney generals the district attorneys kind of like the secondary level that are maybe not state but county and regional and we've been getting some uptick, and it's a questionnaire that does overlap with housing specifically. So we combined a transportation, climate, and housing questionnaire to show how they overlap. And I think a little of that on our end, and Bike was really, and our coalition partners, including Sierra Club and Livable Streets and some of the others that you're in Massachusetts you're familiar with, but it was almost less of a questionnaire and a little bit like, here's the answers to a policy platform that we're hoping to get. So I'm wondering if you got some interesting answers or anything that you weren't expecting or have you not gotten answers yet from your mayoral questionnaire?
2: Really, it's interesting in L.A. The big debate here is, again, everything circles around cars here. So the big concern is if we talk about road diets or removing parking, there's a very strong backlash against that because businesses and parents and people who need medical care are just terrified really like terrified of not being able to find a parking space or being slowed down at all. Because again, the pipes that we have here, the freeways, I call pipes, <laughs> are completely overwhelmed by just the mass of folks using them. And it's just this feeling of insanity where every time you think, well, okay, when are we going to learn the lesson that just expanding these pipes is not going to solve the issue as more and more people move to this region? and start just coming up with different strategies altogether for how folks can get around safely, affordably, equitably, and in a healthy way. But like I said, I think there's this tipping point that we're seeing. And I was somewhat impressed by Karen Bass. I mean, Karen Bass probably had the most connected perspective on the lived experience of the folks that she's been representing and her lived experience trying to get around as a woman of color in this city. So I think there is this growing movement that understands that nobody gets away scot-free. When you think about the undocumented person who is mowed down by a speeding motorist on a street that's not designed for anything besides high-speed car travel, to Kobe Bryant, our favorite son, basketball superstar, who opts to take a helicopter around town, crashes with his daughter, And there's not a single block in L.A. that doesn't have some sort of mural memorializing them or celebrating them. But no one's talked about the fact that this is a guy who had every resource in the world. And his solution for getting around was to get in a helicopter, (laughs) and fly around above the city. And you see more and more of those private helicopters. And there's actually an urban air mobility movement that's growing here as well. And and I just think to myself, there's just this simple, elegant, literal vehicle for progress, which is a bicycle that delivers on all of the affordability, health, air quality, water quality, sustainability, all of the things that we need to be addressing, not to mention mental and physical well-being. And it's just right there. And it's totally accessible to most people who are bipedal and the folks who aren't should get in cars and should have the special services and the alternatives. But for the vast majority of Angelinos, with our temperate, very Mediterranean climate where the vast majority of people live in the flats, meaning there's very little elevation gain that they have to contend with to get from point A to B. I'm always impressed by people in Boston who ride their bikes to work in the snow. We have nothing even remotely like that here. We don't even have rain in LA, unfortunately. Yeah. So I feel like LA is again poised to become by necessity, but not because we're smart enough to choose this for ourselves, but we're getting to that tipping point where we're in a position where we don't have other options other than to start being smarter about revisiting the bicycle and other active modes of transportation to get around.
1: Yeah. More power to you. And I recommend all of our audience members go check out Karen Bass's responses. Very impressed with how on point she is here, but from across the continent. This is my 501c3 non-endorsement.
2: <laughs> I think you're allowed to do that. You can be impressed. I think you need to stop right up to the point where you might endorse, but okay. I would second that. I've been very impressed by-
1: Non-endorsement. It's just an encouragement for people to read her answers here. So in the one minute or two minutes we have left here, Eli, thank you yeah. for taking the time here to explain. There's so much to dig into. But this is gonna be the toughest question I ask her. In your wildest dreams, what would be the big needle moving game changer for safe biking, safe walking, accessible, equitable, anti-racist, what would be the dream push?
2: So, and this is something that you may have heard about on this podcast. I think you probably talked to some of the coalition that's been a part of the Healthy Streets LA campaign. LACBC has been a member of that push from the beginning. But just to distill it in 60 seconds the city has a mobility plan called the mobility plan 2035 that was voted in by the council back in 2015 and to this time some seven plus years later less than three percent of it has been done has been implemented and because we're such a large ecosystem because we're such a sprawling community and because we all travel such great distances to get to where we need to go a systemic holistic approach to bike infrastructure is necessary. We can't just do it hamlet by hamlet because we're not a hamlet, we're a mega city. We need a larger plan that ties all these disparate pieces of itself together. And the Mobility Plan 2035, while it's far from perfect, does make a series of recommendations that would actually support the lives of cyclists, transit users, pedestrians, and drivers to get to where they need to go safely and with ease And the total failure in getting that plan implemented is something that would be a game changer to find the mechanism to make that happen. Healthy Streets LA campaign has been working on that. There's a growing coalition of different groups that are plugging into that effort. But from our perspective, because a lot of our work is in just working with folks on the street, helping students learn how to find safe routes to school, working with lifelong learners who are trying to mode shift to public transit. We do a lot of programming, but no matter how much program we do, And how good we are at it until the street itself is set up to protect the lives of the folks that we're giving safety lessons to and that we're teaching how to use our transit systems is improved we need the streets to just get safer period so that would be the game changer is if the city council figures out how to enact their own plan in an equitable way where they get the departments to work better with each other, which has been a huge issue as well, where funding sources are identified long in advance so we don't get stuck in these endless funding cycles that take forever to vest and where we set up a system where we hold our electeds accountable for in some way to get this plan in place. Lives are being lost both in high speed due to crashes, but also in slow motion over generations because The environmental impacts of our car culture are real. Smog is real. The poor water quality that we have to import from a distance and the expense of that is real. And we just need a plan that we can actually enact that will start to address these issues holistically.
1: It sounds so simple when you put it that way. (laughs) It's like we want people to do their jobs and work well together.
2: Yeah, and find the coin that's going to finance or resource it properly. Yeah,
1: it's like you're one of the richest counties in the whole world. You've got a huge population base. You have a democratic government. What more pieces do you need to put into place? But I guess that's where your work comes in, man. And not for nothing, you've got a job to do every day, and that's pretty much guaranteed.
2: Yeah, I tell my mom, I say, I just don't think I'm going to be put out of work anytime soon. And that's not all a good thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would love to be out of a job here, man.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's what I keep on telling her. But here's what I'd love to do. I would love to continue this conversation because there are specific things that are happening in L.A. that we didn't get to touch on, like this Sixth Street Viaduct and this half a billion dollar piece of bridge infrastructure that went in. And what it's teaching us about our lack of forethought in terms of the design implementation of that structure specifically. There's a big movement in L.A. to reduce car cut-through traffic through Griffith Park, which should be a people's park, not a car commuter park. Cut-through traffic is claiming lives at an alarming rate in Griffith Park. It's one of the largest public parks in the country, and it's essentially become a cut-through for cars to get from A to B, and the people that are actually trying to use the park are put at risk on a daily basis.
1: All right. Well, I hear you, Eli. And thanks so much for coming on Bike Talk. We have so much more to talk about. I want to hear all about your projects, your wins, your struggles. We didn't even get to Bike Joy. So next time we're going to start with Bike Joy, because I want to hear about how your riding is going up there. Thanks for coming on and good luck out there in LA County.
2: Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me and ride on.
0: That was Galen Mook, Executive Director of Mass Bike, interviewing Eli Akira-Kaufman, the Executive Director of the LA CBC. Now we turn to Landrick Bennett Jr., Toronto's bicycle mayor. Landrick is part of the Bikes Network of bicycle mayors worldwide. So, Landrick, you're the bicycle mayor of Toronto.
3: I am. It's an interesting position. Uh, I don't get a sash. I don't get a uh, a crown. But it's been an exciting opportunity to be able to amplify a lot of the work that's already being done here in the city of Toronto. The bicycle mayor program started through an organization in the Netherlands called Bikes, B-Y-C-S. Their focus is uh, across the world in in the promotion and amplification of uh, cycling as a tool for a better world by bike. I'm joined by a few Canadian bicycle mayors, but there's uh, at least 150 across the world. And I've been, uh, I think, doing my due diligence uh, at least since uh, uh january february of uh, of this year so you're relatively new bike mayor i am I'm, I'm beyond new <laughs> <laughs> they 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 plotted me in as the bicycle mayor in the middle of the winter and i don't know if that was more of a joke on their side or just to <laughs> see what i would do uh and and that's honestly not to say that you can't cycle uh in the winter it's uh Toronto is is kind of notorious in the fact that we've we've got cycling infrastructure. We just don't necessarily know sometimes how to clean it. It doesn't snow a lot in Toronto. It's just that you have to move the snow that is uh, on the ground to allow for people to move safely across the city.
0: It sounds like you have your work cut out for you.
3: <laughs> there is a robust uh, cycling community there has been for for decades in Toronto. They, as in this collective, have been uh, pushing hard on creating uh, a safe environment for, for people on bikes. I like referring to uh, people that use this mode of transportation as opposed to just calling them cyclists, because uh, people on bikes, bikes can be just about anything. Uh, two wheels, unicycles, three wheels, cargo bikes, e-bikes, you name it. There are human beings that are utilizing them as a means to uh, getting to point A to point B or something in between. I want to emphasize the fact that there is a human being on this uh, uh, amazing machine trying to get to places for fun, for work, for school, uh, for exercise, whatever it is. um, You can do it uh, more or less by bike, at least uh, within the city of Toronto.
0: So what are your duties as bike mayor?
3: finding and amplifying the work of people that look like myself. I'm a 47-year-old Black male. The overall perception of cyclists, and I've got my air quotes up, is, you know, a white male in spandex. And so finding uh, uh, Black people, BIPOC people, people that aren't your stereotypical cyclists, we're out there, we ride, we enjoy... There's not a focus in the communities for the BIPOC community. Uh, So one of my wants is to to give more stage and more presence to uh, the BIPOC community that ride. Another really important piece is uh, young people. I'm blessed to have an 11 and 14-year-old in my life. And uh, my kids are my passion when it comes to cycling they want to be able to ride more. They want to be able to go further, at least my son. I want to, to be able to create the dialogue to allow for kids to be able to create policy that allows them to be able to ride to school uh, and ride to their parks and ride to their libraries safely and be able to do it on their own. And this isn't to say that I need four-year-olds to be able to ride 4 kilometers but as i said i've got an 11 year old that is definitely wanting uh to be able to pop over to see his friends and and head over to the park that isn't necessarily just a walk away from our house i really want to be able to to give him his friends other young people a voice to be able to speak out and say that they deserve a safe piece of infrastructure to to get them to and fro
0: what would a typical day for you look like? Do you have things you do as bike mayor every day? Or
3: One of the things that I do on a weekly basis is I volunteer for an organization called uh, the Bike Brigade. Every Tuesday evening, out with uh, hundreds of other volunteers, uh, we would head out to uh, Little Italy to do pickup food boxes, which we would be delivering across the midtown to the downtown area of Toronto. During the pandemic, uh, food insecurity was definitely highlighted in uh, individuals not being able to go to work or individuals uh, just not working at all. Um, And when you have to deal with the cost of rent and also eating, uh, one of those two uh, things usually gets dropped. So uh, you've got your rent, you may have a a roof over your head, but food is... uh, something that is hard to get. And the bike brigade was put together to to help fill that gap. The organization's been around for just over two years. And I've been volunteering for at least over a year. And it was a great motivator to be able to get out on my bike. I admit the fact that I miss my normal commutes uh, by bike and being able to get out into the community, help my community on a bike, it's a wonderful thing.
0: What did you do leading up to being bike mayor? Were you some form of bike activist?
3: It's an interesting question. Um, I used to bike as a kid. I was I was one of those kids. I grew up in the suburbs, and my dad was uh, was a tinkerer and uh, would always uh, have uh, my bike ready to go for me. Uh, but getting older and and moving to Toronto and starting a family, I kind of gave up on biking. I was I was more public transit than anything else. Um, My daughter, uh, when she turned nine, decided one day that uh, she just wanted to ride to school. That was her want, and it was up to uh, her parents to figure out how they would allow her to ride her bike. So I bought a bike, and my daughter Zoe and I went riding. It was a magical time with my daughter being able to see her feel responsible to get herself to school. A, it was a magical connector for for her and I to be able to spend our mornings together and our afternoons when I'd pick her up. The real eye-opener of doing that bike ride with my daughter is the fact that our streets at the time uh, were just painted lines. So the bike lanes that we, we would ride on this is the streets, you may not know them, but Jones Avenue, Dundas Street East, um, these were just uh, painted lined uh, bike lanes. My daughter would stay in the bike lane gutter and I would ride literally in the street as some sort of force field in my head that I would be there to at least deflect a car if need be to give her you know, the nanosecond that she would need to get out of the way. Riding for a few months and everything was, you know, going as swimmingly as possible. And then one morning, uh, dropping her off to school, we missed a crash. It was a crash that ended someone's life. His name was Douglas Crosby, and he was killed literally in the opposite direction of our route uh, to my daughter's school. My daughter lasted for about two months after his death. Uh, She still rode to school, but in her head she didn't want me to be hurt or killed like douglas was and she went on bike strike uh she wrote to our counselors she wrote to our school trustees she wrote to our uh provincial uh uh, representatives she wrote to everyone that she possibly could and was kind of given the copy and paste type response of of course we're going to do something and and it'll be coming and in then 10 year old uh, Zoe's head, it wasn't fast enough. It wasn't real enough for her and she didn't want to put her dad in danger anymore. So she, uh, she publicly went on strike and she hasn't been on a bike in four years. That kind of is my origin story when it comes to advocacy. You know, when all is said and done selfishly, I want my daughter to be able to ride a bike again. Yeah. You know, it, it It is a selfish want, but, uh, she loved it, and I loved being able to ride with her. And and I mean, I'm I'm riding with her brother now, and and he's 11. In my head, I'm just like all of the things that I was doing with my daughter. I'm now doing with my son, and teaching him everything that I possibly can while we ride. But yeah, I want her back on a bike.
0: You want it to be safe for your daughter. I don't think that's selfish. I, of course, it wouldn't just be for your daughter. It would condition if you can make conditions better. But um, how do you get? The kind of people that you want to be safe for. How are we going to get it safe?
3: It's tough, right? I mean, this is not something that can just um, that can just change overnight. Although, if if you bike, if you if you're on a bike, you definitely want that to happen because you kind of look around at the environment that you are, whether you're in a city or in the suburbs or whatnot. You see the space for cars; it's everywhere. <laughs> you can you can basically drive everywhere. And you you kind of scratch your head going, why can't I do that by bike? I'm talking about Toronto specifically, but here in this city, a lot of what has been able to happen when it comes to building out cycling infrastructure has been the political will. So you're leaning heavily on your uh, municipal representative, your councillor, to have the foresight just have the the ability to understand that allowing for bike transportation, allowing for uh, safer means of getting around your city, you can walk, you can do public transit, you can uh, drive around, but that bike is kind of this real, I don't want to call it a silver bullet, but it's this pinnacle of being able to mesh so many of the good things about not having to be in a car and allowing you to get around your city the ability to have your community be a part of you know the the want to have safe streets completely a a very important uh piece to the puzzle but if you don't have the the political will if you don't have that representative with the political will to understand why safe infrastructure is so important it's a massive uphill battle
0: yeah who's your Bike coalition or agency?
3: <laughs> or, or... Yeah, we we've got a few. I mean, uh, it, it Cycle Toronto is possibly the premier piece. We've also got the uh, Bike Coalition as as well here. Those are kind of our two uh, main groups, but there are many others. We've got Scarborough Cycles. We've got Markham Cycles. We've got a group out in Mississauga. We've got smaller nodes that are. Uh, within the neighborhoods and different wards as well that are all working, you know, in one way or another to be able to highlight uh, why cycling is, is such an important aspect of their collective lives and why being able to create the space for bicycles can make their communities, which in turn can make this entire city a more livable place to be in.
0: Are you ever recognized as the bicycle mayor? <laughs>
3: I've, been, I've been stopped a couple of times. I, 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 again, I don't ride around with a sash or anything like that. I don't have a business card. Um, I'm usually an observer. You know, I'm loud enough when I need to be, but I'm not there with a trumpet, but I'm definitely the one with the megaphone to make sure that I'm highlighting and amplifying and giving stage to a lot of the work that's already being done. You know, I'll boast on the fact that the city of Toronto is an amazing city. We have a, a very Canadiana type mindset of being siloed <laughs> in in the things that we do sometimes. So something can be happening in Scarborough that is just brilliant, but the people living in Midtown have absolutely no idea that it's going on, or something can be happening down on the lakeshore. But if you're in North York, you've got no idea that it's happening. A large part of what I hope you know, my two-year term can accomplish is pulling together all of these different strings and networks together to showcase uh, some of the brilliance of what's going on in our city. We've got amazing tools, amazing talent, both on the city side and on uh, the advocacy side, but it's trying to make sure that, you know, all of these facets uh, get to uh, be brilliant together. That is the issue that needs to be fixed. It, it won't be me that's going to fix it all on my own, but I definitely want to be uh, in the the right lane to uh, the bike lane uh, to be able to uh, push that forward.
0: And maybe do you report back to Bikes, BYCS, the organization yeah. that started you?
3: They are a wonderful network. They bring... Many of the bike mayors uh, together on either monthly or uh, in some cases, some of the groups get to be together on a weekly basis. Uh, But our North American hub, including um, Waterloo area, uh, Halifax here in Toronto, we've got Atlanta, we've got Chicago and a couple others as well, where we come together every, um, every month and a bit. And get to share the work that we're doing, see if we can collaborate on other uh, pieces. I was lucky enough talking with the bicycle mayor in uh, Halifax, and one of her brilliant uh, pieces was something called a kidical mass ride. So she was able to partner with her community to start rolling out these rides where it would be uh, kid-focused. Uh, and allow for children to be able to ride across their city. And I thought it was brilliant. And why aren't we doing something like that in Toronto? So uh, I partnered up with a friend of mine, and we launched our first uh, Kitticle Mass on Canada Day. Expected that we would have seven people, maybe, (laughs) with three of them being uh, my son and uh, his two friends. And we had over 50 people show up with children. do a six kilometer ride we're doing another one next weekend from cherry beach to tommy thompson park uh another six kilometer ride we're expecting a a large group of friendly faces and and people that want to be able to to show off their bikes it's going to be a brilliant ride but yeah bikes has been a just a wonderful anchor for for Myself as a bike mayor, but I'm sure for many others to get information, get feedback, get encouragement on uh, why advocating for bicycles and, and the people that ride them, why that's so important.
0: Yeah, I I think that, like you said, there are so many groups and and people that are doing their own thing in isolation, and it would be great if people, if we could work together. More hmm. And maybe this bike mayor program is just one way of bringing together information and advocacy from all these different places.
3: I've noticed this, at least with other bicycle mayors, and I'm noticing it uh, on my own. I, I do a lot of social media. I'm just dabbling right now to my 14 year old chagrin on TikTok, but showing your everyday modes of how you get around the city. So my son and I right now, I, I take him every morning and pick him up. He goes to camp. I record my rides and and post them on YouTube and give everyone a look at some of the great rides that we do or the great areas in where we're riding and maybe the not so hot areas of the city when it comes to riding. And, and I want to bring that human scale Of what it's like to be in a protected bike lane and have a cement truck right beside you, and feel very confident that you can have your 11 year old riding in front of you, and even if God forbid that truck you know starts going out of control, at least you know that there's a protective barrier there uh, to keep your family safe. On the flip side, it's riding through a construction area, and the construction crew does not actually put out a area for cyclists to be able to ride safely. So you're dumped out into the street, being able to call those people out and, and show, you know, sometimes the not so great moments of cycling in the city. It's a mindset. It's a collective want to uh, understand that as a person on a bike, as a pedestrian as well, even people actually in cars were vulnerable to uh, these 3,000-pound minimum vehicles that are zipping in and out of our cities. Being hit by a car is not fun. Beyond getting hurt, you can get killed. You want the powers that be in your city to understand that, that your life matters and that the priority should be the vulnerable road users that are in the city. And I'm very vocal on highlighting all aspects across the city of what works, what doesn't, what could be done. My biggest annoyance right now is um, delivery vehicles parking purposely in bike lanes. Literally down the street, they could be easily parking in a perfectly safe area, but they've decided that uh, bike lanes are going to be their uh, easy access point. You know, you tag FedEx or you tag... Canada Post or UPS and you call them out and you make them feel many of my tweets that I put out I literally ask why would you want to put a vulnerable road user in danger like why would you want to do that I've gotten responses of oh of course safety is our number one concern but it's like just look at the picture look at the video that I'm sending you your vehicle is literally in a bike lane clearly someone is doing this purposely your vehicle didn't just slide in there. They've parked there and you can see people having to weave around uh, your delivery vehicles. Why do that? It's making sure that, that people see the real, just the real dynamic of what it is to, to ride in the city. And like I say, where there's infrastructure that prioritizes people, it's brilliant and it can be brilliant and it should be. Where it isn't or, or that it's uh, circumvented. Is you know something that you're scratching your head, just going, why, <laughs> why, why?
0: Have you heard of the Just a Minute protests? Hmm,
3: I've heard of it, but I haven't. I haven't necessarily seen them. Tell, tell me more.
0: Uh, well, in San Francisco, and Chicago, and maybe other places, some people will, when they see a car blocking a bike lane, like often a delivery vehicle, they will stop traffic.
3: Stop. Yes.
0: Uh, and. <laughs> And they'll say it's just a minute, so we're just gonna have to stop this lane of traffic so that cyclists will have a place to safely get around.
3: I love that. I'm gonna have to take a look a deeper look. Do they feel safe that they can do like is this done as a group or or is it individuals or just doesn't matter it's wherever you see this, you just make that just a minute happen.
0: My understanding is they pick like a street that where this is a particular problem
3: fair there were particular streets then in Toronto that I think that would be uh, an appropriate response to just highlight the just a minute mindset.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And there's probably a lot of other practices like that that we could share.
3: Most definitely. One of my first actual protest pieces was a, uh, this was friends and families here in Toronto. They had a die-in at uh, City Hall and which was, you know, over a hundred people coming with their bikes and uh, lying in front of uh, the the doors of City Hall for our mayor to see and for councilors to understand, you know, the importance and significance of these actual human beings, these vulnerable road users that are utilizing our streets, and to to give attention to why there there needs to be a prioritization of infrastructure that. Protects people. Advocacy sometimes needs to be very bold, very loud. You can even say it's obnoxious, but uh, if it turns heads, if it if it makes uh, others feel a bit uncomfortable, that's not necessarily a bad thing. And when it comes to protecting the lives of people, I don't see a a reason why it shouldn't happen more.
0: So you said you you sometimes have a megaphone. What's your metaphorical megaphone? Do you have a website or how do you get out there? Um,
3: I'm connected to uh, my Twitter account, uh, which is uh, bicycle mayor to. Is usually the digital megaphone that I make sure to tag people to, and you know, on top of being able to again amplify the work of others, I am, you know, one that really utilizes video a lot. So I want people to see what I'm seeing. I want them to be able to pass it on, even if it's, you know, just a little 30-second size chunks. Um, I'm also, I've got a bell on my bike, but you usually won't hear that bell. You'll hear my voice. You'll hear the, the subtle on your left, which I, I, I enjoy doing more so than digging my bell uh, when I'm passing people. But you'll also hear me yelling and screaming at delinquent drivers and, uh, again, delivery people. I don't mind having to get into the face, and, and I say that in the context of COVID as well. I don't mind getting in the face of individuals that are putting people's lives in danger. More times than not, I've had some decent conversations with construction guys and and with taxi drivers and whatnot, but you know the ones that become a bit more heated, uh, I'm happy to have my camera beside me and and I make sure to point to the fact that we're going to be reporting this. And I need to understand why, you know, you've decided whatever it is that you're driving that uh, that you need to put us uh, vulnerable road users uh, in in danger. I ride with my camera for my own protection. I've had run-ins with our police force and I do call it a police force. It's not a police service. It is a police force in our city and it didn't go so well. I wasn't hurt, but it was a harassment that made sure that having a camera for my own protection was uh the right uh move so it sits on my handlebars so that everyone knows that uh there could be a possibility of them being recorded twitter is kind of my digital megaphone or you'll hear this uh raspy voice calling to you nicely to the left or maybe a bit a few octaves higher if, if you decide to uh put myself or other cyclists in danger.
0: Well, and now Bike Talks your megaphone. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Landry Bennett Jr., Bicycle Mayor of Toronto on Twitter at BicycleMayorTO. We can find you on bycsbikes.org.
3: It's always a pleasure to talk with other bicycle advocates and others that that feel that this is an important piece and I just want to say thank you for for giving stage and giving the opportunity to to have this conversation and to get it out there. This is a a lot of fun, so thank you.
0: That was Bicycle Mayor of Toronto, Landrick Bennett, Jr. This was Bike Talk. Editing for this episode was done by Kevin Burton. If you want to hear more, donate, or contact Bike Talk, visit biketalk.org. Thanks for listening, and have a good week.
1: Push on a pedal, push on a pedal, get ya... Hot started, push on a pedal. Push it down and up again. Push on a pedal. Push on a pedal. get ya. Heart started, push on a pedal. Push it down and up again. Get on your bike, sit on the seat, Put your feet on the pedals And ride it all around, ride it all around. Get on your bike, sit on the seat, Put your feet on the pedals And ride it all around, ride it all around. Bye-bye. It's up